everybody. If you um, if you're here this morning and it means that you missed out of your missed out on breakfast in bed, thank you for making the effort. And I hope you may have a beautiful Mother's Day lunch. We're continuing with our theme today about stepping out of the shadows. Stepping out of the shadows. Often it's safer in the shadows, but we were made to walk in the light. And we've been talking about the shadow side being a little bit like the dark side or the selfish side that we so often choose, the unworthy side. And it has an effect not just on us in diminishing ourselves, but it can also have an effect on others and be destructive towards others. But there's a verse in the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, 9, that says this, and Peter's writing to followers of Jesus people who are choosing to walk with God. And he says, but you're not like that. You're a chosen people, a royal priest. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. He says, God's chosen you. God's called you. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. We have a choice, either the darkness or the light. And as we step into the light, we have an example, an opportunity to show people the goodness of God. I don't know if you've ever been in the right place at the right time, when things just seem to fall into place, everything links together and it works really well. Sometimes it never works, but when it does, it's one of those wow moments. Well, this year for Christmas... I gave my girls a gift of a trapeze workshop and it was only last weekend that we managed to fulfil this present and my girls went off to a trapeze workshop. Take a look. This is Tilly in the black. I show you this not to show you how wonderful she is, which I was pretty excited at the time. This was a two-hour workshop with 10 people who were involved. And in five swings, they got to do that. Now, I don't know if you saw it. Admittedly, there's a harness on them and there's a net. So it sort of takes away some of the fear. I wouldn't have done it, but for them, you know, you're not going to hurt yourself. You're going to be hoist down, you're going to be caught or fall in a net. But as I watched the girls do this, I was amazed because each swing, each of the five swings, taught them exactly what to do and if they followed those instructions and they did everything as they were told by the instructor, they were almost guaranteed that they would be caught and that would happen. I want you to take a look at Bronte this time because, you know, you can't show favouritism being a mother. They both have to be shown. But this time I want you to listen to the instructions, if you can hear it, of the instructor down below, what he tells her to do. Here's Bronte in the white. Great landing there, Bronte. 
I want you to hold that thought for a minute. I'm going to come back to it. We are today having a look at the story of Esther. Now, I love Esther. There's not, there's not that many fabulous women in the Bible as examples of perhaps how we could live our lives, but Esther is one of those amazing women. And as we celebrate Mother's Day, I thought it was good that we could perhaps look at some of the characters in the Bible, and particularly women. The story starts like this. We have a group of Jewish people who had been exiled and some of them, after the exile in Babylon, some of them had returned to Jerusalem. But there was a group of Jews who decided to stay in Persia. And this is where the story begins. We have King Xerxes, who is the most powerful man in the world at this time. He rules over about 127 providences. He is powerful, he is showy, he is flashy, he is wealthy, and he is so self-centred, he's almost annoying. But he throws these amazing parties, and I'm not talking about a party that just happens for a night or a weekend. He throws a six-month party of celebration to all these important people. And this party, he talks about that everybody drinks out of a gold goblet, and none of those gold goblets are exactly the same. He talks about the decorations of beautiful stones and fabrics, and they party on for six months. Then he decides to throw another banquet just for the commoners, and that goes for seven days. So he's having this amazing party, and then also there's a a girls-only party where Queen Vashti gathers women together to have a celebration and show off all that they have, all the amazing wealth and the incredible things. But during this party, the king decides that he might like to show off more than his wealth and all the amazing things he has, and he decides that he'd like to show off his queen. So he decides to call Queen Vashti on the seventh day of the feast when King Xerxes was high in spirits because of the wine, He asks, bring Queen Vashti with the royal crown on her head. She wanted the nobles, he wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when the king conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious and he burned with anger. You know what? If that happened today, we'd go, you go, girl, good for you. Stand up for yourself. Don't parade yourself in front of all those men. But if we think about this time and this place, that was not what a woman should do. She should do as she was told. She should have been obedient. But yet here, we see Vashti saying no to the king. I'm wondering if her shadow actions... We don't know. She only appears for about 15 verses and then we never hear of her again. But I'm wondering if maybe her shadow actions might have been she always did what everybody expected. She did what she was told. She fulfilled everybody else's expectations. I'm wondering if maybe this is the first time she actually stood up to the king and she said, no, I won't do that. I actually respect myself too much. I'm not going to come and parade before the king. But this was a costly action to Vashti, to step out of the shadows. It was very costly because she lost her crown and she was replaced. She was dethroned. We never hear of Queen Vashti again. She's banished. I wonder if you've ever been replaced. 
I wonder if somebody better, younger, prettier, more talented, more successful has ever taken your place. I wonder if somebody shoved you out of the way and they took your place. I wonder if someone not so good, not so successful, not as honest, took your place. It's a pretty hurtful thing to be replaced. But when God talks about being part of his family, he says, you know what? If you're part of my family, you can't be replaced. You're irreplaceable. In John chapter 8, it says, A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of a family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free, or you are free indeed. You know what? In God's family, in God's story, we can't be replaced. However, whoever comes along, we will always have a place. And if you think about a family unit, you can't replace your children. They all have a special, important part. And in God's family, we also have an important part to play. The story continues And the king doesn't like not having a queen anymore. And he's not very good at making up his own mind. So he asks all his officials, what should I do? And they come up with this amazing plan to have a beauty contest. And they suggest that he has a beauty contest and he gathers all the most beautiful women from all around, give them a a 12 months of beauty pampering, 12 months. My goodness, it would be exhausting. And then they would come before the king and he would choose a new beauty queen. And this is where we suddenly see Esther. Esther appears. Now, of course, she would have had to be beautiful to be selected. In Esther 2, it says she was beautiful of form and face. So Esther comes to the palace for the 12 months beauty treatment. Now, Esther is a Jewish girl who's being raised by her uncle, her adopted uncle, Mordecai, and he raises her as his own, but she is selected to be one of the king's choices. And after her 12 months of beauty treatment with the other women, it says that the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she found favour and kindness with him more. Oh, I think I've got that, more than all the other women. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So Queen Vashti is replaced by Esther, and Esther is the new queen. She lives in a place of privilege and honour. Everything you could want, Esther has. Now, the story continues, and the baddie of the story is Haman. Now, Haman is a man who is almost like the king's right-hand man. And Haman, he, he likes pomp and ceremony and he likes everybody to respect him and bow down to him. And Mordecai, being Esther's adopted father, wants to keep an eye on her, even though she's in the palace. So Mordecai is often at the palace gate, just finding out how Esther's going and, and what's happening. And then Haman, the meanie of the story, gets a little bit upset. He gets his nose out of joint because Mordecai will not bow down to him and not give him the respect and the honour that he thinks he deserves. So Haman goes to the king 
he actually bribes the king with silver and says, you know what, there's a group of people that are not doing what you want them to do. They're not obeying you. They're not becoming obedient. I think we should wipe them out. So he pays the king this incredible amount of money and the king, without even realising what decision he's making, hands over his signet ring and gives Haman the authority to actually annihilate all the Jews just because Haman got upset that Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. So this decree is issued that all the Jews in the area will be killed. <coughs> Mordecai, Esther's adopted father, hears of this and she come, he sends a message to Esther and he says to Esther, Esther, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from another place but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Now, Esther has not told anybody that she is a Jew. Nobody knows. It's a secret that she's kept. But suddenly, Mordecai comes to her and says, Esther, you need to act. You may not. You might have thought that you were just the most beautiful girl and you just happened to get chosen to be the king's new queen. But just maybe, Esther, maybe, maybe, maybe God had a bigger plan. Would you dare to believe that maybe God was the one that chose you and put you in this position for such a time as this, that you could make a difference and you might be the very one to save the Jewish nation? Esther, don't you get comfort in this position that you've got? It's time to act. It's time for you to step out of your shadow side don't get too comfortable in the palace with those jewels, with that feasting, with the expensive perfume, with those servants. Don't get too comfortable. Esther, there's a bigger calling. God has something else for you. Esther, would you use your position to speak up for what's right? Would you save the Jewish people? Now, we don't know what Esther's shadow side was. But I can't help but to think, if I was in her place, I might have liked to have just kept silent. I might have liked to have just enjoyed the place I was, enjoying those luxuries, the comfort. But yet Mordecai says, Esther, don't let your position, don't let your fame and your fortune blind you from another plan that God just might have. And this is where Esther steps into action. And she is a real contrast to King Xerxes. King Xerxes makes decisions without thinking about it. He's really flippant about what he does. But yet Esther decides that she's actually going to take some time to seek God. She steps out of the shadows by doing three things. She decides to seek God wholeheartedly. And then she asks them, she seeks God wholeheartedly, but she also gathers others to seek God on her behalf. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days. No, not, do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go into the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything that Esther had asked her. 
You see, there was this bizarre rule in the palace that you couldn't just go and talk to the king. Even if you were the queen, you had no right to just go and talk to the king. You had to actually wait for him to call you. And if you approached the king and he didn't hold out his golden scepter, you would be killed on the spot. And Esther knows that she's now been queen for five years. And you know what? The king has a whole harem of wives. And you know what? The king has not called for Esther in over 30 days. Perhaps she's losing a bit of her favour. Perhaps she's not the king's favourite anymore. So Esther decides that she's going to seek God. And not only is she going to seek God, but she's going to call all the Jews to seek God with her to pray and fast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget to ask God. Sometimes I just like making decisions on my own and I, I sort of like to be in control. I like to know what's happening and I like to organise my life. And as I was preparing for this talk this week and thinking about fasting, I sensed a little tap on my shoulder from God. And God said to me, not in an audible voice, but just a little word to me to say, Bron, have you asked me about that? Have you thought to ask me what my idea might be about that? And to be honest, I hadn't. So I decided perhaps I would put into practice what I'm preaching today. And I was challenged to maybe fast. Now, I really don't like fasting. I find it really, really difficult to go without food. I don't know, I like my food and I don't like being hungry. I don't know about you. But I was challenged. Now, I didn't do a, a pure fast like Esther. I'm not that good. I decided for three days just to eat fruit and vegetables and only a little bit. And I found that every time I got hungry, it was a reminder to seek God. It was a reminder to ask God about that particular situation and say, God, what do you want me to do? What's your best in this situation. It's not as if I was trying to win brownie points with God and say, hey, God, look what I'm doing. You better answer me in my way. I wasn't trying to twist God's arms, but I wanted to say, God, what do you want for me? What's your plan in this bigger picture? What do you want me to do? What actions do you want me to take? And then after Esther had spent time seeking God, she chose to act. She chose to step out of the shadows of her comfort and she decided to approach the king. And to cut a long, fabulous story short, Esther ends up saving the Jewish people. She approaches the king. He changes his plan. The baddie Haman is destroyed. The goody Mordecai takes his position. And God uses Esther in a particular time, in a particular place, for a particular purpose. Who knows if perhaps you have been made queen for such a time as this. You know what? Sometimes we let our success blind us from what God wants to do. Sometimes we let our failures blind us from what God wants to do. Because I'm convinced that wherever you are, whether it's a successful place, a thriving place, a disappointing place, God has a place for you and he can use those specific situations for his God, his good, if you choose to call on him. You see, when my girls did the trapeze, 
there was a couple of specific steps that the instructor told them to do. On the very first swing out on the bar, by the time they got back almost to the platform, they had to have their legs on the bar. As I watched other people doing this, there was a few older people like me who found it pretty hard to hang from here to suddenly get their legs upside down. And some of them took like two or three swings before they were hanging upside down. If you didn't get upside down on the first swing, there was no hope of you being caught. It was abandoned. Also, there were some little girls. Well, little girls spend their lifetime on monkey bars. They hang upside down really, really easily. And as they were swinging beautifully upside down, there was one, one spot where she was upside down, she had her hands out ready to be caught, and the catcher actually caught her, but then let go. And I thought, how odd. She was there. Why didn't you hang on to her? And as she came down, she was rubbing behind her knees. And the instructor said to her, you've got to let go. You see... The trapeze artist could have caught her, but if she doesn't unlet, let her legs go, he's not going to rip her off the swing because that would hurt her. Part of trusting God is not only putting our hands out to be caught, but are we going to let go? There is a point that we need to go, God, I trust you. Not only do I trust you to catch me, but I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go of my control. I'm going to let go of the fact that I think I know better than you. I'm going to let go of the fact that I feel like I've been replaced by somebody better. And I'm going to trust you that you can even use the most difficult situations in my life for your good to help me step out of the shadows and into the light. And then as I listened to the instructor, he said, you've got to look up. You swing back, legs up, hang, hang upside down, and then he said, look up. Now, when he was instructing them on the ground, he said, you are not to catch the catcher. You put your hands out like this, but do not catch the catcher. That's not your job. Your hands are to be like this. The catcher will catch you if you're in the right position. And once the catcher grabs your wrists, then you can hang on. But if you try and grab him first, you'll mess it up. He said, just put your hands like this. Follow my instructions. If you're in the right place at the right time, you'll be caught. And when the catcher catches you, hang on. I think that could be a lesson for us today. You know what? God wants to use us in any place whether it's a place of success and joy or whether it's a place of disappointment and sorrow, no opportunity is wasted if you choose to follow God, if you choose to put your hands out. And I want to encourage us all this morning that we might be willing to put our hands out and let God catch us and let's take hold. Who knows if perhaps you have been called for such a time as this. What's it take to position ourselves to be in a place for God to work? You know what? This isn't a formula. 
God has an amazing way of working, whether we do the right thing or not. But I do believe if we take time to ask God, what shadows do you want me to step out of? What things do you want me to change? He will answer. We need to put ourselves in a place that we can hear God speak. That we can hear God tap us on the shoulder and go, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, you haven't asked me about that. Hang on, remember you're part of my family? You're irreplaceable. Whatever's happening around you, you can't be replaced. You're chosen, you're precious to me. You belong in my family. And to have others around you encouraging you. I've just recently joined a prayer triplet this year and I haven't done it for a while, but it has been refreshing. It has been the best thing to have a group of some other women around me who I can text and go, my sermon's not going very well, please pray. And they do. They text me back and go, praying, Bron, hang in there. We pray for each other, we talk to each other, we challenge each other, we go, you know what, I don't reckon that's positive thinking. Make sure that you've got people around you to encourage you, whether it's a small group, whether it's a church community, whether it's a trio or a prayer partner. Have other people pray for you and support you. And then put your hands out like this and say to God, Okay, God, hands up, legs up, let go, catch me. God, would you use me in whatever situation I'm in? For your good. And as the band plays now, they're going to play a song. And I want to encourage you just to think about the situations you're in now. Would you be willing to let God use you, work in you, and use you? You know what? As that little clip of the trapeze, you heard me going, ah, they got it. It's exciting to fly through the air. I couldn't do it, but it was exciting to watch. And then to be caught and then to flip back and catch the bar again. But you know what? It's really exciting to know that God has used you to make a difference in somebody else's life. It's exciting to know that God cares enough about us that he wants us to step out of those shadow places and into his light. It is the greatest thrill to think the God of this universe wants to do something in me. More exciting than flying on a trapeze. So could I encourage you this morning, this Mother's Day, to say, God, for such a time of this as this, maybe you want to work in me, you want to use me.